0: All right, if you take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Mark, uh, the first chapter. We're still in Mark chapter 1. Uh, and this morning, you notice probably noticing your bulletin there in the uh, title of the message. Anybody notice that? The. I'll let you fill in the rest of it. Well, <laughs> oh, sometimes those things happen. Even gets past the uh, the the one who uh, does the proofreading. I won't mention her name. I'll just give her initials to you. Terry Fleming. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the. Preaching of the servant. And uh, we've been looking at uh, Mark, the first chapter, uh, for a number of weeks now. And uh, this morning we want to look at the preaching of the servant. We've looked at a number of other areas of Jesus, the suffering servant. And this morning we want to take note of his preaching. And we find this in uh, actually verses 21 and 22. In verse 21 it says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Again, it seems like Mark is in somewhat of a hurry. Uh, He uses words like straightway uh, and immediately. For forthwith, down in verse 29, uh, verse 30, you find the word anon. All of these are action words, and it's a picture of events happening one right after another. So we say Mark is the gospel of action. Uh, Mark is attempting, I think, to focus on the main interest or main thrust of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Mark tries to picture Jesus as a servant of Uh, one who is going from task to task as he does everything in his power to accomplish his father's mission for this life. Mark is leading us to Calvary and then on to the empty tomb, and he wants to picture Jesus as a suffering servant who gave his life to redeem his people. And now in fulfilling his purpose, Mark skips over large chunks of the ministry of Jesus. Some of those chunks we get from the other Gospels. Uh, We get some of the details of that. But between verses 13 and 14, there's a span of over a year. Mark totally leaves out the, uh, the entire ministry of Jesus in Judea. Between verses 20 and 21 is kind of another span of time, passed over, and really no comment there. But during the several weeks that are not mentioned by Mark we find that Jesus was carrying out his ministry in Nazareth. Uh, It was during this time that he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Mark doesn't refer to that sermon. Uh, He kind of skips over, but you find that in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And uh, that's when he called the rest of the 12 disciples. Uh, Remember last week we looked at his calling four of his disciples, and... uh, Uh, Yet uh, he skips over the rest of them. It's also during this period that Jesus suffered rejection at the hands of the people of Nazareth. Uh, According to Luke 4, uh, 16-30, Jesus preached in the synagogue at Nazareth, proclaimed himself to be the Messiah uh, Israel had long anticipated. Uh, The people rejected his claims, even tried to kill him. And as a result, Jesus and his men left Nazareth. They moved their ministry to Capernaum. And it's there that Mark picks up the narrative once again. So here uh, we are in Capernaum, and Jesus taught and ministered uh, to the people in Capernaum. Uh, they caught up by, were caught up by and carried away with his message, uh, the message of this man by the name of Jesus. And the Bible tells us, That they were astonished. Uh, In verse 22, down in verse 27, it uses the word amazed. Uh, Both words kind of say the same thing. Astonished. They were amazed by what Jesus was saying and the things that he was doing. And so we're going to look at the preaching this morning of the servant. Notice, first of all, the context of his preaching. The context. Uh, Jesus and his men went to the synagogue on Sabbath day. Uh, the synagogue was much like the local church in those days. Uh, every community of Jews had uh, that had ten families was required by a rabbinical law to have a synagogue. Now the synagogue system was established during the years of Israel's Babylonian captivity. And they would not go to the temple for worship, so they came together in what were called synagogues to read the law, to teach the law, to worship God. And the synagogue quickly became a center for the Jewish community. The people met there for worship on the Sabbath days. That was Saturday. They would meet again on Monday and then again on Thursday. And the, the building also was a schoolhouse, and sometimes it was used as a courthouse. Typical service during uh, service at the synagogue included prayer, reading of the law, a sermon by maybe a rabbi or a scribe. Uh, Those were the men who were entrusted to protecting the word of God. They were entrusted to give their lives to the learning of the law, to the sharing of it with the people of God. And yet, the sermons that were delivered by these scribes were notoriously long and dusty, and dry. The scribe or the rabbi would stand and read some portion of scripture, and then he would sit down and begin to quote the other rabbis. And he would quote one after another, giving their opinions, but never telling the people really what the law meant. Usually they would talk about the restrictions that were there for the Sabbath day. They would take uh, a day that was intended by God as a blessing and transfer it into their legalism and into a heavy burden for the people that they could not bear. And when the people left the synagogue, uh, they had the same darkness as they had when they came in. Really no spiritual light, no truth in their services. And so it's in this atmosphere that Jesus comes preaching the word of God. The people arrived that Sabbath morning expecting to hear Dr. Dry and Dusty. And uh, they expected to hear another uh, long, never-ending string of herbitical quotations. But what they got was something completely different. What they heard left them astonished. The word means to be stricken as a blow. Now, when the Sabbath day came, Jesus made his way to the assembly, place of assembly. We no longer worship on the Sabbath day. We worship on the Lord's day. Today is the Lord's day. Uh, We gather to celebrate, to worship our risen Savior, the first day of the week. Now, Jesus thought it was important to be in the synagogue to worship. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that it was his custom it was something he did on a regular basis. Uh, and we find that in Luke four 16. We'll get to that later. But from what we know about the synagogue services, again, they were dead, they were dull, they were boring, and yet Jesus went. And the only church he has to attend is a dead church. But Jesus went to church. He expects no less from us. In fact, we're commanded to be faithful to the assembly of the saints in Hebrews 10.25. I think most of us have heard me mention this subject before. And I think if we loved Jesus like we should, we would be in the house of the Lord, the church, the local church, as at every opportunity we have. And I believe this particular issue that we see here presents itself in our text. And I don't mind calling our attention to it once again. I believe it's important. Jesus went to church. We ought to as well. Why? Because we love the Lord. We ought to go to church because we love the Lord. We love him, and there will be a desire to gather with his saints, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship and to praise him. We're not here to praise ourselves. We're not here to entertain. We're not here to just uh, have a good time. Not just to, you know, we do enjoy one another's fellowship, but that's not the primary reason why we're here. We're here because we love the Lord, I trust. There's another reason. It's because it's a testimony. When we go to church, it's a testimony. Well, who's it's a testimony to? Testimony too. Well, it's a testimony to our friends. Uh, it's a testimony to our family. It's a testimony to our neighbors. Where are those people going all dressed up again? Every Sunday morning, they leave and they go, where are they going? Oh, they're going to church. It reminds others where they ought to be. We ought to go to church even when it's dull and boring. You left to listen to Pastor Fleming. Right? You never know, though, when Jesus might, so to speak, show up and break through the monotony, the dullness. Jesus, the Lord, might, the Spirit of God might do something very special in a service. If you aren't here, you'll miss something. You've turned over to John chapter 20 for just a moment here. Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. And see what a person who missed out because he didn't attend the assembling of the Lord's followers. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. In verse 19, we read in John 20, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. What day of the week is that? Sunday. When the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But notice verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were therein, within, and Thomas was with them. This time he showed up. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach thither, hither thy Finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. You say, Pastor, that's just kind of one very special time that Jesus appeared to the disciples, and, and they received the Holy Ghost. That just happened one time. But there was some one of them that wasn't there. He missed something. Now, I don't believe Jesus is going to come here and appear before us in the flesh, show us his hands and his side, and, and those kind of things. But you know what? We have the written word. And the living word, the Lord Jesus, and the written word, Basically, are one and the same. You'll find that over and over in the scriptures. Sometimes there are scriptures, you can't tell, is it talking about Jesus, the living word, or is it talking about the written word? When we need to be in church or we don't come to church, we might miss something. And we'll certainly, as long as God gives me breath, enables me to be the preacher of this church, I'm going to give you the word of God. That's important. And I trust that will be always the testimony of this church. Even after I'm dead and gone. So we ought to go to church because we may miss something. And then we ought to go to church because it's the right thing to do. It honors the Lord. There should be no debate at our homes, in our houses. When it is church time, everybody ought to know this is what we're going to do. Mom and dad and all the children need to get ready. Get out to church. Be ready to go. Oh, do I have to do it today? I want to stay home. I want to stay in bed. Well, is that the right thing or is that this convenient thing? We ought to go to church because it's the right thing to do. It honors the Lord. And then we ought to go to the church because an absence from church is really a vote to close the doors. It says, I don't care enough to be there. And you know what? You say, we wouldn't want a vote to close the doors of our church. But how many churches don't have a service maybe on Sunday afternoon or evening? How many churches don't have a service on Wednesday night? Why don't they have services those, all those times? Because nobody's showing up. And so they said, well, let's just have one service on Sunday morning. That ought to be enough. Now, we won't go into uh, any uh, re- explanation why we should have church on Sunday evening. By the way, uh, they were assembled in the evening when Thomas missed Remember? So they had a Sunday evening service. I don't know if they had a Sunday morning service. There's really nothing in the Bible that says you have to have Sunday school. But we are to learn, and we are to be edified. We're to be built up. And these are one of the ways that we can do that by being in the services. You know, uh, many times there's we come up with reasons not to be in church. And if you want my opinion... I know, you didn't ask for it. There are only two reasons you should not be in church. Number one is you're sick, or number two, you've providentially been hindered in coming. You ran off the road, and you're stuck in the ditch. Nobody expects you to be here. Well, that's the context of his preaching. He preached here in the synagogue, and they were astonished they were amazed. They were, uh, uh, he taught with one of, of authority, not as the scribes. They were expecting a dry and dusty quotations from rabbinical uh, so-called wisdom. And what they got was a preacher who preached the word of God. So that's the context. Notice, secondly, the character of his preaching. We're told that Jesus spoke as one who possessed authority. Uh, That means that Jesus spoke as a man who knew what he was talking about. The scribes could only quote someone else. But Jesus spoke with power and understanding. You know, a quick glance at how the scribes taught against how Jesus taught reveals why the people were so amazed. Notice this. Here's why they were so astonished by what they heard. First of all, the scribes, they always majored on trivial things. Uh, They elevated the traditions of men above the word of God. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school. Uh, They worried about things like tithing mint leaves and how a man should walk on the Sabbath day. Jesus, on the other hand, spoke of weighty matters, the matters of life and death, heaven and hell, death and eternity. And when they heard Jesus preach, they knew they were hearing words of eternal value. Now, the scribes, they rambled on and on. They quoted one another and never said anything of any importance. But Jesus taught systematically. He read or quoted the word of God. He explained it and he applied it. That's some of the reason why uh, I preach the way I preach. Systematically, We're going through uh, books of the Bible. We're going through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse. Uh, we're going through Jonah, Sunday afternoons, uh, soon to be Sunday night. March is going to come to an end here, folks. Spring is right around the corner. And uh, I know it, it's coming. But we're going to have a Sunday evening service. I'll continue through the Minor Prophets, the Lord willing. Uh, And so we go through systematically explaining what these verses mean. That's the way Jesus taught. Now the scribes, they were dry as dust. They spoke of things that no one cared about in terms that no one understood. Uh, Jesus would use some vivid illustrations. His preaching was crystal clear. The scribes did not care about the people to whom they were preaching. And so they were using the people to their advantage, to their profit. Tells us in Mark chapter 12, Jesus spoke as a lover of men. He cared about every person he spoke to, and he pointed them to the love of the Father. You know, when the scribes taught, nothing of eternal value ever took place. Their teaching was dry, it was shallow, it did not bring about life to change people who heard them. Now when Jesus preached, though, he used the word of God. He used it as a sharp sword. And when he spoke, hearts were pierced, souls were saved, lives were eternally changed. And that's how preaching ought to be in this day and hour. Too much preaching centers on trivial things. Should our men have beards or not beards? Let's have a whole message on that. No. You know, that wouldn't work. Uh, Should we call our fellowship meal, should we call it potluck or should we call it pot blessing? Actually, I prefer Baptist buffet. (laughs) What about the color of the carpet? You know, that churches argue and split over that. And sometimes it's because the preacher preached about it. Oh, we could go on and on and on into trivial things that really don't matter. But biblical preaching takes its text from the Word of God, declares the message of the Word clearly and boldly, and the preacher's mandate is to, what? Preach the Word. We're told to preach the Word. And if I just come in here and give you a pep talk and tell you a bunch of nice stories and maybe some funny stories. By the way, there's nothing wrong with smiling or laughing. But if that's all I did, it wouldn't be worth your time. You can go stay home and watch TV for that. But my mandate is to preach the word and nothing but the word. Sometimes a message will be filled with fire and glory. Other times it will be filled with the common, the routine. Sometimes there will be a breath of heaven that will be on the preaching, and sometimes it will just kind of seem common or ordinary. But the message is preached is to be preached in truth and power, and God will use it for his glory. It's not going to speak to every person the same way. So you notice the context of his preaching, the character of his preaching, and then, thirdly, the content of his preaching. And we're not told exactly what Jesus said that day. At least Mark doesn't tell us that. But we are told that the people were astonished at his doctrine. When they heard him speak, it was like nothing they'd ever heard before. Kind of left them speechless. Left them, as it says in verse 27, amazed. Amazed. Jesus spoke with authority because he was anointed by the Spirit of God to preach the good news of the gospel. So let's go to Luke chapter 4 and fill in some of the uh, blanks here of content. These verses give us little insight as to what he preached in the synagogue. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Let's just take a brief look at the content of his message. The first thing we notice here in, in chapter 4 and down in verse 16 it says, And he came to Nazareth when he had brought, uh, been brought up. And his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And he opened the book, found the place where it was written. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's the first thing we notice here. Preach the gospel to the poor. Now the poor refers to those who were destitute of wealth, position, or influence, or an honor. They were probably uh, what we consider lowly or needy and lacking, helpless. He's referring actually to a spiritual condition, not just a physical condition. He came to save souls, to change lives. He came to offer hope to the hopeless. He came to help the helpless and give life to the lifeless. He came with the good news that there was love and hope and salvation. I wonder, are you lacking in this world's goods? Maybe you say, well, my bank account's not very big. And if, you know, you ask of that to me, I say, well, I'm a poor Baptist preacher. If you don't believe me, just come hear me preach. Well, are you in need today? Are you helpless? Maybe lacking in some of the world's goods in comparison maybe to someone else. But what about the spiritual needs? Do you need a Savior in your life? There's a man named Jesus who will take you like you are, poor and needy. He'll save your soul. He'll change your life, and it won't cost you a dime. Isaiah 55, verse 1 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye into the waters, and he that hath no money. Come, ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Revelation 22, verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So he came to preach the gospel to the poor. Notice, secondly, he came to heal the brokenhearted. It goes on to say, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The word brokenhearted means and speaks of those who are broken. Their lives are broken in pieces. Maybe they've been trampled. Maybe they've been crushed underfoot. We have a lot of people like that in our society today. They're brokenhearted. They're oppressed by sin and Satan. Jesus came to offer healing to people in that condition. And if your heart is broken by some cruel treatment in life, if you've been shattered by the effects of sin, if you've been crushed underfoot by Satan, Jesus is offering healing to you. So what he preached, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He'll take a wounded life and a crushed life or a crushed spirit, and he'll bind you up with his love and with his grace. And he can take you like you are, hurts and all, and he'll give you a new life in him. Thirdly, he came to preach deliverance to the captives. Notice it here. He said, and to preach deliverance to the captives. The word captives literally means those held at spear point. I'm glad you didn't bring your spear this morning. But this is the image of those who've been captured by the enemy, slated for execution. Uh, They've been captured. The enemy holds the spear right against the juggler vein. And one thrust, and they would die. And the blood would pour out on the ground, and they'd be gone. Well, Jesus is talking about people who've been held captive in the grip of sin. You know, by birth, all of us were sinners. As sinners, we're enemies with God. Lost people stand opposed to God, opposed to His will. They're guilty of violating the law, rejecting the Son, turning a deaf ear to the gospel. And as a result, they're doomed and doomed to judgment. Listen, if that describes any of you this morning, if you're in the grip of the enemy, sin, like a great spear, is pressed against the juggler of your soul. One thrust and you will leave this life and go out into a lost eternity. And if you die in your lost condition, you will go to hell and you will spend eternity in that horrible place. You'll be isolated from God and from all that is good and, some, and pleasant. There will be no reprieve. There will be no release. Nothing but pain, suffering for all of eternity. Here, Jesus promises deliverance to those who are in that condition. That's what the word deliverance has to do with. Release from bondage or imprisonment. It's forgiveness or pardon of sins. Jesus will take those who come to him by faith and put their sins away from them forever. He has the power to to deal with the enemy. He has the power to give everlasting eternal life. He has the power to set free from bondage. He has the power to take an old life and make you a brand new creature in Christ. You know, there were some saints that were held in captive like Samson. You're finding out that sin binds and blinds and grinds, it literally brings its own club. But Jesus can set us free. Notice something else Jesus preached. Recovering of the sight of the bl- uh, to the blind. That's in verse 18 there. Recovering of the sight uh, to the blind. Jesus surely opened blinded eyes when he was here, but his primary mission was to open the eyes of those who were spiritually blind. Now that's the condition of all those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior today. They're blind to their condition. Uh, they don't even know that they're lost. They're blind to their need. They think, they, you know, if I just live a good life, if I just maybe turn over a new leaf, maybe if I get a little religion, maybe I do a few good deeds, I, I, everything will be fine. They're so blind and so deceived. But Jesus came... To recover the sight of the blind, He reminds them of the cross and the tomb. He shows them that Jesus died for them and because He loved them. And when they act on that information, they receive spiritual sight. They receive Jesus into their lives and He saves them. He came to preach that message. And then He to came to set liberty them that are bruised. We see that at the end of verse 18. That word bruised refers to those who are broken, shattered, smitten. Speaks of those who have been battered by the power, the effects of sin. We've already touched on how that sin's power destroys and devastates, but we cannot stress too strongly the truth that there is no good in sin. Nothing but devastation, nothing but desperation, nothing but destruction in sin because sin destroys it'll destroy our youth it'll rob people of their innocence it'll ruin marriages it breaks up homes it brings death and disease and damnation it'll steal your testimony it'll rob you of your joy it'll silence your shout sin will harden your heart it'll sear your conscience it'll drive you away from God sin is a deceiver it's a destroyer It brings damnation. It will take everything of value and leave you with nothing but disappointment, disillusion, and devastation. It will ruin your life. Jesus came to make it possible for those who are beaten up and bruised by sin to be set free. That's what he preached. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be a slave to the flesh and the devil. You, can, you don't have to live one more minute in your slavery uh, to sin. And then we find Jesus came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 19. Jesus came to let those trapped in sin know that the door of hope had been opened. They could now be set free from their sins and all they had to do was come to him. That's still the message today. The door of hope still stands open today. Jesus invites all who will come to him by faith, receive him into their lives. He invites the broken, the bruised, the battered to come to him and find deliverance and hope and blessing. Let me just conclude by saying this is the same message today. The same message. Perhaps there's someone here who can be described as poor, hopeless and helpless. Maybe you're broken hearted and sin has crushed you. Maybe you're one of the captives and you need to find freedom and deliverance. Perhaps you're one of the blind, cannot find your way. Perhaps you're one of the bruised. Perhaps you're one of those who needs... When the acceptable year of the Lord gives you hope to accept that hope. How many of you can remember the day that you trusted Jesus Christ? Those of you who know Christ as your Savior, can you remember that day? I do. I was nine years old. Vacation Bible school. Responded to an invitation. Trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Maybe it wasn't in a preaching service, like some have been responsible. Maybe it was in a counseling room. I got saved in a church nursery. I say that's where I got changed. They were changing babies' diapers there, but I got changed, my life got changed by trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. Maybe it was in your your living room at your home or wherever it might have been. But I want you to recall that day and remember what you felt and how it changed your life. 1 Corinthians 1:21 for after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save some that believe. Let me ask you this morning is preaching important to you? How important? I would think it was important when you heard the gospel. You say, well, it wasn't a preacher. It was someone that gave me a gospel track. It was still preaching. It was someone that told you how to be saved. Is it still important to you today? If there's someone here this morning that's not saved, there's a message of hope here for us. If you are saved, you've not been living like you should, there's still hope if you come to Jesus. His message is an amazing message life-changing message, and we need to heed that message and come to Him today. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for this wonderful example of preaching by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that His example to us will help us to honor Him with our lives, help us to be Faithful to preaching services. Help us to be faithful to listen and to take in the word of God. Help us to trust you by what you say. And we pray, Lord, you'll help this preacher to always preach the word. Because the word of God is that which will be honored and glorified. Just not my stories, not my opinions, but your word. And I pray if there's someone here this morning that needs to be saved, perhaps needs to be uh, saved from these conditions, they're poor, they're brokenhearted, they're captive or they're blind or they're bruised, may they realize that this is it, the acceptable time. Today is the day, should be the day of their salvation. And for us who know Christ as our Savior, help us to hold in high esteem the preaching of your word. Help us to invite others to come to hear the preaching of God's word. Help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your songbooks. Turn with me to number 350.